I need to address two quick elephants in the room. One, you just saw something that said week zero. What does that mean? Uh, that means that uh, the series is going to start actually next week um, because we're starting our, uh, uh, our, our big East Lake Nights thing. There's a soft launch tonight, but the actual kickoff is next week. And I didn't think that inviting somebody to something that's brand new and then being like, welcome to week two, would be very confusing for those people. So today has sort of something to do with beginnings, um, but really it all launches next week. So welcome to part zero. And you guys, you'll be the ones that know this really isn't the first one. There's really a second one, you know. Anyways, uh, and then also, man, is it cold in this room? Yes, it is cold in this room. Um, it, uh, it's cold outside, and this is an old abandoned theater. Our HVAC is older than me, okay? So... A uh, little tip, season pro, somebody who lives here almost all week long, uh, the lobby is perfect temperature. Uh, the auditorium is freezing. The bathrooms are like a sauna. So choose whichever one you want to go into. If you need to warm up, go into the bathrooms for a little bit, just whatever you need to do. it. Anyways, uh, and, and that's, that's the tips for that. So sorry we're working on it, but it's old, so there you go. Uh, today we're kicking off a new series called Beginnings, and um, again, we, uh, this is part zero for us, but if you're a guest, we designed this church in general uh, specifically for you, like a person who doesn't typically be into church or do the whole church thing or whatever, uh, or the whole God thing, then, then that's, this, is, this is like the place, hopefully. We want this to be the best option for you, uh, in, in, at least in the Tri-Cities or the region, regional area. However, today is an interesting day because we are coming back from an extended break, and man, it feels good to be home, and it feels, every, every once in a while you go on a vacation, and the first couple of days of vacation, you're like, I could do this forever. And then like the last day of vacation, you're like, I think I'm ready to get home. And that's kind of what this last break has felt like for us, or at least for me. <clears throat> so it's good to be home. And uh, anytime you're coming out of uh, an extended break like that, or especially this season of the year, um, it's an important time to kind of do some self-evaluation, some checking in, in and you, you set some resolutions probably, or maybe not, or whatever, um, but you took kind of personal inventory of your life and said, all right, here's what I want to do. And then you shared something important about what you want to do, probably with people that you love, or sometimes, unfortunately, publicly on the internet or whatever. But for the most part, hopefully you, you did it with like your family members, your spouse, if you, or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and you said, here's what I want to do this year, and uh, will you hold me to it? So that's what we're going to do a little bit today. Uh, we are entering into a very busy season from a, a church standpoint. May, uh, sorry, January through May uh, from a church is, is, is a busy time. People get back in the routine, resolutions. We're going to start going to church again. And then all the way through Easter, uh, and then June through the rest of the time is a little bit slower. But um, this is a busy season. So typically every year in January, I've had a conversation uh, with all of you from the front doing some sort of a series on vision of the church. Here's what we're going to do this next year, or this is who we are. Like this is, this is core of, of us. So today is kind of like that a little bit. It's a, we took personal inventory, we leadership team of uh, where are we, we're at as a church, where are we healthy, where are we not healthy, that kind of thing. And we uh, have kind of made sort of a resolution, and I wanted to share it with you. So this is free past Sunday if you're a guest. If you are a, a guest, um, you, uh, the, you, know, you can listen in, but it's kind of like listening on, um, if you've ever wanted to listen in on a friend and have a, like a family meeting, they're like, we're going to have a family meeting tonight. And you're like, I would love to listen in on that. You know what I mean? I'd love to watch them fight. Then you are in luck. Today is the day. We're going to have a little talk as a family, and you're, you're more than welcome to be here, obviously. Um, but uh, no obligation from you. You, get, you just get a chance to observe. So um, today, wh- where are we at? We're asking the difficult questions that you ask as on, a, on a personal level, right? Where This is the thing that you ask typically around January. Where am I undisciplined? 
Like if I could look at 2017 and say, where have I like let myself kind of like be okay with, where have I made, allowed myself to make excuses for a lifestyle decision or something that I'm not really that, that proud of and I could probably change it in this next year? Where am I uh, unhealthy? It was in an unhealthy pace, unhealthy expectations of myself or my spouse or my life or my family or my job or whatever. Where am I experiencing an unhealthy diet? Where am I settling? Where do I need to see some personal growth? I just know I need to grow in this area this year. Uh, from a career standpoint, if I, I don't want to be in the same spot next year that I was, those are good questions. What do I need to do more of? And what do I need to do less of? And that typically involves uh, food and exercise. And, and I think you can probably figure out which one it, it, it goes into. And on a personal level, we do this. And I, I won't bore you with my personal uh, resolutions, although one of them does include to eat less spud nuts. Not no spud nuts, just less spud nuts. Because when you work four stores down from spud nuts and you're here and the hallways smell like maple bars all day long, it is really hard. So feel, have pity on me a little bit in that way, um, but not personal stuff. I'm talking about organization-wise. A couple of the questions that we had to kind of come to grips with and ask ourselves and try and force the answer onto, onto is, where do we need growth? Um, where do we need to see something different in 2018 than what we saw in 2017? And I, I say that because I think healthy things naturally grow. However, not all growth is good, Right? If you had to go to a doctor and he had to say to you, hey, let's take a look at that growth, um, that's not necessarily a positive thing for you, right? You're like, oh, this is not a good visit. I'm not like blasting this on Facebook. Um, so not all growth is healthy, but where do we need a healthy grow? Where, where, because in general, um, when I feed my kids fruits and vegetables and, and when they eat a, a, a good diet, they tend to grow. My kid is um, seven weeks old now. He's bigger than he was when he was first born. That's just natural. If I took him in and he was less than what he was uh, than his birth weight, um, there would be problems. There would be questions from the doctor, like, "What are you feeding him? What are you doing?" So, anyways, that's important. So, the questions that we had were: Are are we growing in the size of our community? Uh, from a church standpoint, are we growing uh, in generosity? Are we becoming better, more generous givers, both internally and personally, but then corporately as a church? Are we growing in our presence and serving those outside the church? That's a, that was a big one for us in 2017. Are we um, really genuinely a culture that wears love in our community? How do we do that more? <clears throat> I'm on a, uh, a leadership team that evaluates these things and then answers the question, and if not, why not? And sometimes that can be tough answers to hear. When you genuinely tell yourself, no, the answer to that question is no, and then you have to not just let it sit there, but go, why not? How do we come at this objectively? Because nobody likes to hear that you're headed in the wrong direction health-wise from your doctor, but we pay doctors to be objective with us, don't we? We want doctors, if we think about it, in the short term, we like doctors who operate on subjectivity. Well, I think you look fine. I mean... This silly little medical instrument says you have the cholesterol of somebody who lives on a cruise ship. But you know what? To me, you look fantastic. We like that in the short term, but then once we actually start, you know, feeling the effects of living with a subjective doctor, we'd be like, okay, forget it. I got to go. I got to go get some, some hard, bad news, but real news because I want to make myself better as a result of it, right? So those are, those are the types of questions that we are trying to, and answers really that we're trying to face. Another question that we've been dealing with has two parts to it. What do we need to do more of as a church? What do we need to do less of? 
What are some things that we need to take away and what are some things that we need to add in terms of priority and budgeting and, and all, of, all of that kind of stuff? And if you want the answer to that first part of that question, you better have some serious clarity on what you're supposed to be doing. So what is this all about? Why do we even do this church thing? Is it because you have nothing to do on Sunday mornings? Do we do this because we've had so many people bombard us saying, really from 9.30 to about noon, I've got a window of inactivity in my life? And I really need, there's nothing to do in the trustees on Friday night and especially on Sunday morning. Could you please put together something where I can bring my kids, I can get some free coffee and laugh a little bit? Uh, I don't think that that's the reason why you're here is because you're so bored. And I don't, I don't think it's because uh, I need, Brent, if you could start a place, I need to make friends. I need to make more friends. Um, or I need to meet someone, a genuinely good guy. And Gaslight just is not cutting it for me anymore. <laughs> I need to meet a genuinely good person, please do what you can to create the environment. Is it because you need more places to be generous? You're like, I have so much money. I don't know how to give it all away. And I don't want to give it away to somebody who's stupid with it. So please be smart with the money that I'm giving because I want to be generous. I want to be that kind of a person. Um, is that, are these all these reasons? I mean, come on. Yes. Let me, the answer is not yes to all those. Yes. A large part of my wife and I's circle of friends are represented in this particular community. We have made friends here. A lot of our friends attend here. Yes, it's a part of our natural weekly rhythm to meet weekly with all of you. And yes, we've missed that over the last couple weeks, which is why it feels good to be home. Yes, we need generous people like many of you to keep this thing going. And yes, there are genuinely good guys here. And I've talked to both of them and they'll both be at the free book table right after this service if you would like to meet them. One of them is very well-groomed. The other, not as much, but he's still a very nice gentleman. I think you'll be very pleased. Of course not. In terms of why, if you want to know what you need to be doing more of, you need to know why you're doing it in the first place. What is this thing about? So again, it's January. It's the first part of the thing. It's kicking off 2018. What do we, what's, what's the goal? What's the end goal? Why do, we, what do we, why do we do this? Here's why. Jesus for three years of his public ministry, four guys recorded the teaching and the, and the person and the events and all of the things that took place with what Jesus did in his time on earth. And, and at this church, we believe that Jesus was God incarnate in the person, uh, in a person, and he actually walked on this earth. And we have four different accounts of what he did during his time here. And many of them included teaching and healing and all this kind of things. And, and then at the very end of all of that, he, uh, the, 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 all four accounts have, like, have kind of different stories intermixed, but they all lead towards the same spot. All of them end with death, burial, resurrection, uh, and then ascension into kind of uh, beyond, ascension back into heaven. And he leaves his disciples with something very important, like really marching orders going out on all of these things. And he says this in chapter 28 of the book of Matthew, um, Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He was a tax collector who was kind of an outsider at that point. And then he, became, he got included probably to the dismay of all of the other disciples as one of Jesus' disciples, but he was really well-educated. And so one of his, his, his letters specifically was written with a Jewish kind of mindset, very, very smart. And as he wrote, he, here's what Jesus' last words, parting words of his disciples, according to Matthew. So you must go and make all nations into disciples. In other words, Jesus focused his entire ministry really on Jerusalem, Judea, I mean, like this whole nation of Israel thing. But right here, he begins to say, and even while he was doing public ministry, he began, I came for the people of Jerusalem. But yet, there was like this like indicator, even in saying that, 
that that's not the end all goal of this. This is just my time is limited. I need to spend it wisely here. However, in my closing instructions, you will see that it goes beyond this. You will make disciples in all nations, baptizing them or baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Making disciples, baptizing them in the family. Making disciples, baptizing them into the family. And now here's the deal. There are a lot of descriptive things in the gospel accounts and especially in the book of Acts, um, which is basically the next book, which talks about the actions of the apostles in light of Jesus, um, his disappearance and, and, and the what they did in response to that. Um, When I say descriptive, what I mean are this is what took place. This is like this historical, this is what we did. Um, Then there are also some things in there that are prescriptive. In the same way that a doctor would write you a note and say, take four of these and then call me in the morning, that's prescriptive. You do something as a result of that. But there's a huge difference between reading something as descriptive versus prescriptive. You sat around um, probably a dinner table or a fireplace with your you know, extended family over the holidays, and you heard some grandpa or some uncle talk about what you did as a family, and that informed a little bit about who you are as a person, as your personal heritage, but you don't then walk away from that and be like, we are going to do the exact same thing that grandpa did. Or great, we're going to immigrate over from Poland. And, you, know, like you don't do that. You, you go, that speaks to who we are, and that plays into what we do with our life, but that's descriptive stuff, not prescriptive stuff. Most of what I think what we read about in the New Testament falls into that descriptive category. Um, it's an, it's, it informs how we are supposed to live, but it doesn't prescribe necessarily how we live, all right? And so if you've been around Eastlake for any length of time, you know that when we talk about Scripture, and we do it every single week, we, talk, we look at some sort of text, um, we would say uh, that, that uh, many times uh, what we see is this is descriptive, and yet it informs how we then live it out in 2018 and 2019 and whatever. However, when it comes to a text like this, this feels very prescriptive. This feels like the disciples heard this, read this, wrote this down, and they would take this to all of the different churches, and they would say, man, this sounds like Jesus actually wanted us to do this. And Jesus is probably going, yeah, exactly. I don't know how I can make it more clear. That's exactly what I want you to do. So making, baptizing, the twofold mission of the church. The church since its inception, the book of Acts, has always been about and continues to be about making disciples, which basically means moving people forward in their relationship with Jesus Christ, becoming more and more trusting of him as a, as a reliable guide for how they should live their life, and then baptizing them into the family of the church. So then the question for us is, do we feel like we are making disciples? We break these things too down. If, if that's the twofold mission of the church, does, do we feel like, as a leadership team, East Lake Tri-Cities is effective at making disciples? Are we pushing people towards this? As a result of our efforts, do we feel like more people are receptive to the teachings of Jesus and making life decisions that are based on an understanding of those teachings? I, I like to think of it in this way too, and this analogy sort of breaks down. It's not perfect, but um, I, I, imagine a spectrum where uh, zero is in the middle, and off to one direction is like plus one, plus two, plus three, plus infinity, right? Towards like what it would mean to be a follower of Jesus. And then on the other direction is like a negative one, negative two, negative eight, negative 10, all that kind of stuff. Um, Is, are we the type of church that people are moving more towards following Jesus and then away from that? Are they more trusting of the church are they more trusting of Jesus as a reliable guide, or are they moving away from that, or are they staying the same? And, and I know, represented here, man, we, we hear stories all the time of, of people 
who are either crossing that line of faith, going from a negative one to a positive number, or maybe just, I used to be completely against church. You couldn't drag me in there. If I went for a funeral, I'd, you know, cross my arms or plug my ears or whatever, but, I, but I'm here because, you know, it's out of respect for a family member. And now I'm kind of enjoying it, but don't call me a Christian yet. I'm not ready to sign up. Don't give me an orange jumpsuit, shave my head, and ask me to go to the airport and shake a tambourine for you. I'm not in for that. Um, however, I don't hate it. That's, that's one of the, the lines that I use constantly. I, I don't think you'll hate it. I think you'll enjoy it. It's about an hour service. There's humor usually trying to be incorporated. Uh, we, we try and talk in logical standpoints, rational stuff, and we're not, we don't play on the emotion, emotion card all that often. Um, and, and so therefore, I, I don't think that you'll hate it. And maybe you'll move from a negative seven to a negative seven. So the question is, are we making more disciples? Are we moving people more towards following Jesus. And my honest response, and I'm not just saying this because it feels good, but my honest response is yes, more so than any other church I've ever personally been a part of. And I'm only 34. I don't, I haven't been a part of a ton of churches, but the ones that I grew up in church, my dad was a pastor. Um, and I'm not speaking bad about his church. I'm just saying more than any other church that I've been a part of, I do feel like we, we together, all of us doing every, all of our different parts, all of the different pieces that, that, that that make this thing what it is, are doing things to make people move more in the spectrum of trusting Jesus as a reliable guide for their life. For those of you with a church background, my hunch is that the reason you stayed here isn't because the production level was so excellent at what they did or because of the subpar teaching or whatever. Listen, if the teaching of the production levels are the reason that you stayed here, you have settled Okay, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. There are far more uh, effective communicators and there are far more effective like production. You'll be wowed more often at other places. We don't have any like smoke, uh, you know, or like fog machines or anything like that. Like if that rattles your bell, then I've got a list of them you can go to. You can go check them out. But um, I, my guess is that you, like me, know the names. That's the key part here. You know the names of people who have become more and more open and receptive to the teachings of Jesus than, uh, than they were before they were a part of this thing. And, and a lot of churches, uh, organizations, whatever, will say, yeah, we're, we're making more disciples, we're doing this. But the thing for me is that that key thing of, yeah, but who, who? Man, I, you, my wife and I have specific names of people, and that's what gets us going. It's not like, do we think we're doing good? Yeah, I think we're doing good. We talk about, and especially on a two-week break like this, it's so good to see X. Like, literally, we'll name people. Coming back to church. Hey, did you hear the story of so-and-so who brought this friend? Her name is, she never been in church before. She got a husband who hates church. And he decided to come and check it out. And he didn't leave in between. And now he's, like, dragging her in. I mean, it, we, I, we love that. My wife and I talk about that constantly. In fact, every once in a while, we'll, we'll, you know, especially in like a January season thing, what do we want to be in a year? What do we want to do? Do we want to do this forever? Is this, is this what we want? I mean, um, Tri-Cities, uh, pastoring, is that what you want to do? Is that what we want to do? You okay with being a pastor's wife? You okay with being a pastor and all that kind of stuff? And, and uh, is there a, another, another community or anything like that? And we look at ourselves and we, we're like, we just, we know, we know too many names here and we can't leave. Where would they go? Babe, we're trapped. We can't, 
and we love it. You know what I mean? And when I, I wrote that last line, I, actually, I wrote this entire message sitting in a Starbucks um, in Las Vegas, on the Las Vegas trip. I was down there for a wedding I was doing, and I wrote this message. And as I wrote that last line, and I wrote, we can't leave because we're trapped, um, I was literally like getting choked up, like tears, like emotional, like, oh my gosh, we know names. We know names, man. Not just figuratively are we making disciples. Yeah, yeah. We know names of, of people. And I'm sure all the people around me are looking at me going, he must have lost a lot of money this week at Vegas because <laughs> he's crying and it's 10 a.m. So making disciples, check. What do we need to do more of? And that's where the second part, the twofold mission of the church comes in. Not only are we supposed to be making disciples, but baptizing them into the church, capital C church, not East Lake Church, but big type of church. And my confession, my, the reason that uh, we have this resolution or having this talking resolution is because I feel like we have done a poor job at baptism at East Lake. Now, let me sugarcoat it for you because that sounds pretty harsh. I'll sugarcoat it for you. You ready? I'm going to read it. We can do better at mobilizing people in their faith journey by making it easy and obvious to take the next step of water baptism. I could have said that for you. But I'm going to choose to say we suck at it right now, okay? We just do. You've probably been a part of a church. You're not even like a religious person. You just know that baptism is like what churches do. Like that, that kind of stuff happens. And you've been attending for a year, and you're like, it just never happens. And he's like, do they not believe it? We must miss every week that they do it. <laughs> we want to do better. We will do better. In the same way that some of you made a resolution to eat less Taco Bell and take the stairs instead of the elevator, not always, but sometimes, we're making a resolution to be more intentional about baptism. Our not-so-secret agenda in 2018 is this. If you're a Christian and you have not been baptized, if you've crossed, if you feel like on the spectrum, you've gone from whatever to a positive number, and this is the place that has done it for you, and this is the first time you're like, I think, like, I don't know everything. Like, I'm, I'm definitely not like, don't ask me any questions, but I trust him more now than I did a while ago, and, and I, I really do feel like I'm following Jesus, then our not-so-secret agenda is, I want you to get baptized. Why? Because I get a dollar every time one of you gets in that tent. No, I'm just kidding. I don't get a dollar. I'm just joking. No, because baptism is a public declaration of a new association. And I used to stop it right there. In fact, this week I was writing this thing down, and I thought, yes, that's true. Like, baptism is um, a very public way of saying, something's going on with me, and I wanted all of you to know about it, right? But, and it has a benefit on both levels. And so I, I continued the definition. And as such, it is a formal ritual that benefits the individual as well as the community. I think there's a slide for this. Go ahead and put that on there, guys. Uh, baptism, a public declaration of a new association. And as such, it is a formal ritual that benefits the individual, right? There's definitely some value in the individual experience, but there's also value in the community. I'm going to break these two things down, and we're going to talk about what the point of each of those is. The, uh, but by not making baptism a priority, I'm not only robbing an individual of a meaningful personal experience, but really the entire church body from celebrating life change and enjoying the fruit of all of your labors. Like the reason that you give here, the reason that you volunteer here, the reason that you invite your friends here, the reason that you're in community groups or wearing love in our community. 
to not be able to share these stories because I know that they're happening. We have just not done a good job of saying, okay, now let's go do this. Now let's schedule this video testimony type thing, this video story, let's fill up the tank. I mean, it's, it, it takes time to fill that thing up, man. And we got to drain it after you guys all leave. So we're just here with a hose, like standing here. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit of work. It's far easier for us to be like, just Brent, could you just talk for 30 minutes? We'll have a band, we'll play some stuff, we'll do that stuff, and we'll just, we'll get moving. It'll be, it'll be great. It's not efficient, but I'm rob- we're robbing you of an opportunity to see some of the fruits of your labors. We're hogging it, really, because we hear the stories. We just have not pushed it to make it public for you. And for that, we apologize. So on, on a corporate level, over the holidays, I did a uh, 10-year vow renewal. So somebody got married 10 years ago. And um, just for the sake of, like, this is what was appropriate for them at the time. They went to a justice of the peace. They got married on the docks outside of Cedar's restaurant, um, Jay and Amy, and uh, it was like December 28th. They were trying to get it in before the new year. I think it's because of taxes. Jay's pretty smart in that way. Um, And uh, it was like a couple of family members, and then that was over. And then they came up to me about six months ago and said, we want to do like the wedding we never had. And we're going to do it up at Suncadia. If you have never been up to the Cleallum area, and we're going to do it December 28th, the same exact day, 10 years later, and it was snowing. Oh my gosh, you guys, this environment, it was Snowing outside, they have these huge glass windows, huge giant fire pits. <clears throat> We're inside on hors d'oeuvres and what, I mean, all kinds of stuff. I'm like, I don't belong here. This is way too fancy for me, you guys. I'm like Quasimodo coming up going, hey, everybody, welcome to the 10-year ceremony, you know. <laughs> They're be- they have beautiful friends, and they invited their ugly pastor to come and do the ceremony for them. <clears throat> uh, so we're sitting up there, and I, uh, I said, man, welcome to the ceremony that you always wish you had. And then I said, well, actually... Jay, let's be honest, this is the ceremony Amy always wished she had. You were probably fine with the docks at uh, Columbia Point there or whatever, but uh, this is a little bit different. And, uh, and I said, it's different in, uh, not because it means like now your marriage is legit. That, that has nothing to do with it. It was always legit. Um, but for you, you've taken this next step of, of um, not only creating a, a personal experience for yourself, but sharing it with about a hundred of your family and friends. And really making this kind of like this corporate, like everybody had fun there. Everybody, it was, it was meaningful for everybody. Um, by doing it down at the docks, they kind of robbed some of their family and friends of sharing this very special moment with them. I mean, I'm sure they could have come down to the docks, but it, it's different. Like it's, it's, this is, this is a, a felt, it's a ritual. I mean, it's still, they walk down the aisle, the wedding party comes first, and then dad walks the bride down, and I ask the question, and uh, all, all of that, it's very ritualistic, and yet, the shared experience of it was a corporate, it, was, it benefited everybody there, not just the couple being involved in that way. The ceremony is for Jane and Amy, but in a way it was also kind of for everybody. And so then the question or the statement I have is, result of public profession of commitment witnessed and enjoyed by your closest community. That's marriage, that's a marriage ceremony, but it's also a baptism ceremony. Public profession of commitment witnessed and enjoyed by your closest community community. When I do a, um, a marriage ceremony right now, uh, part of the thing that I incorporate into the ceremony is the idea of audience vows. Um, I, I think it's important to recognize the communal nature of a wedding ceremony. And so uh, when they do their personal vows, which is like, you know, I, Brent, take you, Kylie, to be you know, my wedded wife, all that kind of stuff. Um, I also then say, all right, now the couple, you turn and face your family and friends, family and friends, I have some questions for you. Will you stand beside these two and not in between them? Will you remind them of this day? If so, say we will. And there's this big kind of chant of we will. And it's encouraging for this couple to know that our 
most intimate promises, vows of staying true to somebody, vows of not like current love, but committed love. Um, that's a, this is being witnessed by everybody here. Like you've supported us. You've made help shape who we are. So it, it's good for you to be here as well. So there's a communal aspect of baptism that's important. And there's also the personal experience, right? I mean, any time that a wedding takes place, it's not really the ceremony. It's not getting all dressed up in the pictures. It's uh, it, the central part of it is are these vows, um, these promises that you're making to each other that are not current statements of current love, but committed future. I'm going to do this. This is this is who I am. This is what I uh, uh, I'm excited about, and I'm committed towards. I'm committing myself to this. Nobody celebrates the fact that you made it to the wedding day. That'd be silly, wouldn't it? To be like. You made it. Good job, guys. You got married. I can't believe you did it. How? And there's, there's no pressure on that. You booked a building. You reserved a tux. You showed up. I mean, I guess those are steps of success. But the hard work is about to kind of anybody who's been married knows that's the easy part, man. Buckle up. It's going to be tough, you know? Um, you would never say that to a, 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 a friend. Uh, wow, congrats, man. I can't believe that you made it. Weddings are the starting gun. That's when it really begins. We are here to witness the starting gun. Congratulations, you've embarked on a very fun, tough, difficult, all the adjectives, journey. Signing up for a marathon is not all of that impressive. Do you know what I mean? You had a friend talking to me like, I signed up for a marathon today. You're like, so that means you have a credit card and internet access. Cool. Um, when you tell me you've completed 26.2 miles without puking your guts out or wetting yourself, then I'm impressed. <laughs> then that's when I'll be impressed. Like, kudos to you for signing up, but like we both know the hard work lays ahead. All right, baptism is like that too. Baptism is not to be seen as, congratulations, you made it. You've successfully ensured yourself a mansion in heaven and the afterlife, right? It is about, I'm making a public commitment to do whatever it takes to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And it's ceremonial, and it's ritual, and it's for you, but it's also for us. And it was never meant to be the end goal. Now the work begins, but as your trust in your heavenly Father increases over time, it's going to feel less and less like work. It feels less and less like work and more and more like life and life more abundant, the kind that John writes about uh, in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I've come so that you have life and that you'll have it to the fullest. We, uh, in first service, 9.30, we had a baptism take place. In fact, um, if you guys have it, um, let's, let's watch. Uh, my name is Tasha Scott. Uh, I'm married to Jeff Scott, an engineer uh, who grew up in Alaska. I grew up in Tacoma. We met at Gonzaga University. Uh, moved here about 19 years ago. Um, and we have three wonderful boys, Evan, Aaron, and Ian. Uh, I'm a fourth grade teacher at Sacagawea Elementary School. And I started coming to East Lake regularly about six months ago. Um, and we've been here off and on for about two years. As a kid, I would go to church with my friends. I always wanted to be a part of a rich church community and it just wasn't my experience. But people would go up there to say, yes, I accept Jesus in my life. Or I even went to a week long camp and every time you know, you'd have that opportunity to go up there and I was like so dying inside to go up there. But I thought that like something was wrong with me and it wouldn't work if I went up there. It wouldn't work because something was wrong with me. But I've always been very spiritual. I think I modeled that after my mom, that it was this personal thing and you didn't need church or whatever. And I kind of, you know, I bought that. And um, 
I've read a lot of books. I have a very dear friend, Angie, who's been a blessing in my life and has shared all of my journey with me. Um, <clears throat> she now comes to East Lake too, which is fantastic uh, for us to get to share in this together. Um, but more recently, I have had, you know, conflict in my marriage, change in career, um, personal family dynamics um, that have been challenging, that have made me think about a time in my life that wasn't very healthy. Uh, you know, in within six months, my sister died and my best friend died while I was at college. And uh, for a lot of reasons at that time, I was a freshman, I wasn't allowed to come home afterwards. And I just became very, very lost uh, in my journey and took a very, very dark turn and moved on, happy, three kids now, everything's great. But things happening later in life made me revisit a lot of that stuff that happened earlier. And I've seen all the ways that God was with me every time, even when I thought I was alone. And so coming here, um, after I've done all this pre-work of reading all these things and talking with all my friends and coming here, like I said, it just all fully fit together because I felt like this is a place, these are people that, like I'm enough to be here. So for myself, it's always been like, you know, I am not worthy and like not lovable. I have to do all these things. If I do all these things perfectly, then I am enough. And, you know, I had just a moment. It was a moment here uh, in church. You played a song that's like a song that I've been like, ever since it came out, I hear it on the radio. I'm sobbing. I'm like, this is speaking my language. And you played this song and I thought, sat here like crying because I feel like God placed it in my way. There's a lot of things that have happened personally. And then in sermons I've been to or discussions I've had that it's like, oh, here's these little Easter eggs God's just putting out for me to go, oh, yes, I got it. And uh, in that moment, I was like, what if I just said, yes, he loves me. I am loved. I am lovable. So uh, I have people I'd like to thank who have helped me along on this journey. Um, definitely my husband who shared in some ups and downs uh, in this process and who through everything has really been there for me and allowed me to be on this journey. Um, <laughs> and my dear friends, the Franks, who have shared so much in our life and um, know my story probably better than anybody and uh, have always been there to support us and to, you know, help me. And just also the church for being so welcoming to us and accepting just every part of us here. So, and my children actually, so. Uh, my children, who are my biggest blessing and just my reason for being here. The reason why I would like to get baptized now um, is because I know God has already worked this renewal in my heart. And uh, it was definitely a private thing with me and God, you know, that happened. And it's something that I want to share with everybody. Many people don't even know like this is happening in my life. And I want everybody to see that you can be broken, you can be failing, you can be miserable, you can be, you know, joyful. Uh, we're all a collection of all of those things. And God is there for you. And so I want 
to just share that with my family, with my friends who've been there with me on my journey, and with other people who are sitting there watching this video like I have who thought, man, I really, really want that. And I just want everyone to know you can have that. It's there already. You just have to say yes. So a couple of questions because no secret, right? No secret agenda. I want you to get baptized in 2018. Um, so here, I'm going to go real, very, very quickly through some very, very practical things about what you just saw and then, you know, what does this all mean? Why do we do that video baptism? Why do you, you've been a part of a church before and they've had people with a microphone and they're standing there and like, um, I'd like to thank everybody for coming today. Um, I mean, it's it just, it's awkward. Not everybody is great with public speaking. Um, so we, um, plus those things are wired, like, if that falls in the tub, man, that's bad. You know what I mean? That's really bad for everything. Our equipment's done. You're done. Everything is done. So we do it on video. And people are like, oh, video baptism, that scares me. Yeah. You know what scares me? People who can't wait to do video baptisms. That's who scare me, okay? We know that they're scary. But that's, that's part of a chance to be able to tell your story. And we, we just knowing, we knew this a couple months ago, about in November, I really realized, or even October, I realized 2018, we need to be better at baptisms. So we talked about it a little bit and we were like, we should go buy a baptismal tank. Because previously we were using a horse trough, big black plastic horse trough. That might be why it scared you off. So I don't know. Somebody in our church named Bill Baker, him and his wife attend second service, built us this and donated it free of charge. Labor, materials, everything. They did it all. They built us a schnazzy tank. And if you're a home team member, you can actually check this out for a backyard party this summer if you need a jacuzzi. Or come in midweek sometime. We'll crack open some cold ones. We'll enjoy a little hot tub. That's fine too. Whatever. Tank, video. All right. Closing thoughts very quickly on the screen. There is a good chance that you'll share your story with more people in a video than any other time in your life. Why do we do this? Why? Why? Because there's corporate value to it. Because you'll share your story probably more. Tasha probably shared her story. We're going to show this three times today. This is her video three times. It's going to be about probably 400 people, maybe 500 people, whatever, who are going to see this video um, and hear her story. If she decided to post it on Facebook, the way that Facebook works now, it'd probably be like two of her friends that actually get to see it. You know what I mean? Like, unless you're boosting that post for super money, right? It doesn't happen. Like, there's, there's, a platform that's involved in a church setting that you're, you're telling more. The all, and second closing thought, there are only two things that connect us with every other Christian who has ever lived. They call them the sacraments of the church, communion and baptism. Every, t- baptism. every time that you receive communion with us at the conclusion of a series, that's something that is kind of like this ritual that has been done since the inception of the church. Baptism is, is the second thing. So when you do this, you're not being baptized into Eastlake. You're being baptized into capital C church across the denominational lines. We believe this. We believe this. Yeah, but at the core of kind of what we believe, there are a few central items of, of really core belief that, that, would, that that's the church that I'm talking about. And when you get baptized, you're, you become a part of that. You identify yourself in that way. And then number three, you never know how your story is going to impact someone on their faith journey. And listen to this last phrase. You may never know their name, and they may never forget your story. You may never know their name, and they might never forget your story. So what do we need to do more of? Things that get us to this. What do we need to do less of? Anything that keeps us 
from doing any of this. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me and us all together to create a culture of baptism, not because there's like this super sacred, because we have to meet a quota, not any of that, but because baptisms represent stories of life change. Baptism represents people crossing over from a negative one to a positive one or whatever, taking a, 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 a very personal thing and making it semi-public, not for my ego, not to be able to look cool in front of a camera. I've always wanted to get in a hot tub in front of people, but because God, we are making a public profession of something that you're doing in our life. And may, as we as a church, as we uh, look at all of the things that we do week in and week out, 51 weeks a year, as, we, uh, as we've done over the past several years, this is the fruit of our labors. This is why we do this. We don't do this because we're bored on Sunday mornings, because we need more friends. We're doing this because more and more people are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. May we walk in the footsteps that Jesus prescribed for those disciples on that day, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.